Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Spark. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them across the UK. This first story of three was told by Beth. In May 2016. When the theme was surprises. Hello. Um, this story is from when I was at university, which I've just realised uh, is 10 years ago. So that's the horrible surprise that I've just had. <laughs> so I think it's probably going to lead to me drinking myself to oblivion. Um, so it was Valentine's Day and I was at uni and I decided as a treat for my boyfriend, I would surprise him by, I don't know where it came from, I think I thought it was some sexy French film idea, by meeting him outside of uni, wearing nothing but lingerie and a trench coat. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I headed into Bristol Town Centre, and all that I could afford, like my sexiest, which was enough fucking money, was Anne Summers. And I don't know if any women have ever owned any underwear from Anne Summers, but I think it's just made to anger you. (laughs) It was, uh, so I found this like, I didn't, I didn't like any of it, but I I didn't have many choices and I had to buy it today. So I bought like this red and black corset and this was 10 years ago. So the pants were tiny and made entirely of ferocious black and red lace Um, and suspenders, which always seemed like a great idea until you spend like half an hour, like struggling to do the fucking things up. And then they just gradually slip down your thighs as you walk. (laughs) So I put this horrendous, like, anti like scratchy awful underwear on and I put on this black trench coat that I'd already got um, and I put on high heels because you can't just put your converse on when you're wearing so you've got to wear high heels and I walked out of my flat feeling like like smoking feeling like some incredibly sexy French woman and as I was walking I realized that there was a split in the back of the trench coat And, w- and with each step, I was just thinking, nobody knows but you, this is fine. But thinking, as these suspenders sagged, thinking, yeah, there's more, <laughs> there's more suspenders showing, but it's fine. So you're kind of uh, hiking them up as you walk. Anyway, I don't know what I expected to happen. Went and met him outside uni, and we'd got no plans. We weren't going to a restaurant. In my head, we were immediately going to go home and have the best sex of my life. That was the plan. And he said, we don't have any food, so we're going to have to go to the supermarket. <laughs> uh, and you th- yeah, sure, sure. And I hastily roll another cigarette for the journey of not worrying about the suspenders or anything. So we get to the supermarket and it's about seven o'clock on Valentine's Day night and um, he wants steak. And of course there's no steak left 
because it's Valentine's night and everyone in Bristol is staying in that night. So he's genuinely pissed off because all he wanted was steak and that's what he's been thinking about. And then we start talking about what else we're going to have. And by the time we're discussing whether to have green beans or broccoli, I just, I, I hate him. I just, I hate him. And I'm scratching and I'm getting more and more antagonised and this is getting less and less sexy and I'm more and more aware. And then, I don't even know why we're there, but at some point we were at shelves and I went to reach something and then remembered the split and thought, I can't do that. I can't do that in public. And I said, you get it. And he was like, oh, right, childish now. Is this where we're going? Oh, I didn't expect... <laughs> Just get the fucking pesto off the shelf and shut up. Um, I, yeah, so I, was, I hated him. And then we were on our way to the checkout and we walked past the card aisle and he said, I suppose I better get you a card since we're here. And to his credit, that was a joke. Um, but I, I was in no mood. And then we, we were walking home and he asked me why I was in such a bad mood. And I, I can't remember if it was on the journey home or when we got home, but he said, what's wrong with you? And I still thought, this is where it turns around. <laughs> this is where I say, well, <laughs> I'm going <gonna> undo, <laughs> to undo this coat and show you some fantastic... And I said, I've been wearing underwear this whole time. And he was like, oh yeah, I was wondering why you were walking weirdly. <laughs> Go on then, let's have a look. Um, and I think I said something scathing about um, I'm going to put my pyjamas on you open the fucking wine um, and it still took me two more years to break up with him <laughs> so oh, leave it on a groan uh, <laughs> hey. that was Beth this next story was told by Joe at the same night at the Brixton Ritzy uh, about three years ago, I was in America studying there for a period of time, and I shared a dorm with this French guy called Cedric. Uh, and Cedric, when I say he was French, like, he couldn't have been more French than he was. He was very tall, he had very long hair, he wore stripes, because he liked wearing stripes. And he used to go for a, jo- a jog, and he'd roll a cigarette and go for a jog with the cigarette. <laughs> That's not a joke, he's like a caricature. Um, anyway, about six weeks into uh, me being in there, um, we got this text and we found out that there was a, a, a party going on in a room around the corner, in a dorm room. And we got there and there were all these couples uh, on the sofa, just like snogging each other. It wasn't a very good party, it was just like loads of snogging people. And this other guy in the room thought it would be a good idea to get a fire extinguisher, like this one just here. And he get it and he sprayed it all over the couples. So <laughs> um, and then all this smoke and fire extinguisher stuff came up into the room and everyone coughed and we all ran away. And we got back to our dorm room. And I'm sitting on my table, sitting at the table, not on the table, um, on my laptop. And Cedric goes into his room and he comes back out and he goes, um, Joe, uh, Joe, uh, I have a very bad uh, headache. <laughs> headache. <laughs> I, think, I think he just looked up how to, how to say headache and headache and that's what he'd done. And I say, uh, oh, Cedric, go and get a, a paracetamol, get some water. Um, you're right. And he goes back in his room and he comes back and he's like, oh, Joe, I feel so bad. I have such a bad head. Ash, I think I will go and tell someone. And he walks. Sorry if I offended anyone with that. And he, and, and, he, and he walks across the room and he's a big guy and he just does this. Doof. Just out. Passes out. I'm like, fuck. So I get up and I go around and Cedric's on the floor and he's not just passed out. He's starting to do this. And he's doing that. And his hands are going like that. And he's like shaking. And I'm just in this room by myself. And I pick him up onto this, put him on the sofa. And I go and run and get one of the, the, 
dorm leader people, and they come in. Her name is Arielle. She's very pretty, actually. And um, <laughs> they, we come in, and Cedric's like, lying on the sofa, and he's literally just doing this. Like, <sighs> and his hands are doing that, and, his throat, and he keeps doing this. And Cedric doesn't speak very good English, so even when he's like, dying, his English is gone completely. So he's trying to say something, but he can't say anything. It's in French. And uh, me and Arielle are standing there like... <laughs> Like, what's going on here? So he can't breathe. That's what he's trying to say. He can't breathe. Now, I have a very serious nut allergy just to Brazil nuts. And if I eat a Brazil nut, I go into something called anaphylactic shock. Anaphylactic shock, your throat closes up. I've done it twice. It's not fun. Um, and I was looking at Cedric and I was thinking, this looks like what anaphylactic shock looks like. And I carry this big EpiPen thing. It's in my bag. And if you go into anaphylactic shock, you have to stab someone in the leg. So I'm like... Ariel, like, this looks like this looks like anaphylactic shock. Um, I think I've got my pen. Shall I just do it? Shall I, shall I do it? And she's like, "Yeah, just do it. Just do it." So I do it. And I stab him <laughs> with my epipen in the leg, and he's just like, and he gets, and just stops, and he's like, and he starts like groaning and like writhing around. By this time, someone's called the like campus security, and they come in the room. And they kind of blast it, blast in, and they're like, um, "What's it?" Well, like they're American. Like, What's the situation here? What's the situation? Uh, and I'm like, oh, I, I, I gave him my EpiPen, and he seems like maybe he's better now." And they're like, "What? Was it his EpiPen?" Well, no, it's it my EpiPen. Um, he's not got a prescription for anything. I just thought that it looked that maybe, <laughs> and that he just like looks at me like, "What the fuck?" And this other guy walks in, and he's like, "What's what's the situation?" And the guy put, points at me. No joke, and goes, this young man administered an EpiPen on him. And, and I'm just, what the fuck? And they then like, scoop up Cedric and take him out and put him in ambulance. So I'm just in this room by myself, just, fuck. Um, and then Ariel leaves the room and she comes back in. I can hear her talking outside and she comes back in and she says, um, look, Joe, um, I gave you permission to use the EpiPen. So if anything comes of this, I gave you permission. I'll take responsibility. And she leaves. So I was obviously pretty surprised at that point because not only have I killed Cedric, but maybe I go into prison for killing Cedric because they're trying to remove, I don't know, whatever. So then six hours pass and pass and hours pass and we're just chilling and Cedric's not come back and eventually he comes back and he says, Joe, I um, thank you so much. Uh, I had an allergic reaction to the chemicals in the fire extinguisher and I went into anaphylactic shock and if I hadn't have got the EpiPen, uh, I might have died. So thank you very much. <laughs> and that was the story. So, thanks. We have one more story for you today. And this one is also by a man called Joe. Here it is. Okay, so um, I knew that the Himachal Pradesh State Police were going to search me before I reached the checkpoint. Um, <laughs> I'd been riding around North India on an old motorbike for, for about a month at this point, uh, and I'd just spent uh, 10 days in the uh, hashish-growing region of, of uh, Manali in the Kulu Valley. Uh, it's not why I'd gone there. I'd gone there to look at the mountains and, and ride my motorbike, uh, but, you know, when in Rome. Uh, so I did have a little bit, but uh, I'd given it away a few days before because I knew the checkpoint was there, I was going to get searched, and, you know, you get sent to jail and stuff. Uh, so, imagine my surprise when uh, one of the policemen opened up a, a side of my camera bag and pulled out a little lump of hash and said, this is an offence. And then he signalled across the street to uh, another policeman who came wandering over, very tall man with a long moustache like a walrus, 
And he looked at it and he smelled it and he went, this is an offence. I was thinking, oh, fucking hell. Well, how did that get there? Like, literally, how did that get there? Um, then they signalled to another policeman and he came across. He looked quite different. He had like a baseball cap uh, with police written on the front, a badge around his, uh, his neck um, and a kind of different sort of uniform. And as soon as he came over, the atmosphere changed very much. The other policeman around suddenly became a little bit more nervous. And the guy that found it passed the little lump of hash to this guy. And he looked at it and he went, this is an offence. And, I'm, <laughs> and I, I, I said to him, as these words tumbled out of my mouth, I realised how stupid they sounded. But I said, I have no idea how that got there. And he just went, shut up. He said, you're going to jail today. Your court case will move like a snail. Those were his exact words. <laughs> One year, two years, maybe even three years before you even get to court. Do you understand what is happening to you? In fact, do you know why this is happening to you like this? Because you're a man, you're not a boy, and you should know better. Now give me your passport, you're under arrest. And he led me across the street to this uh, sort of makeshift office that they had there, uh, like a, a little hut, and uh, led me in the room, sat down, started writing out my details from my passport and wrote, the above-named person has been caught transporting charis. Uh, and he looked up at me and I said to him, uh, well, I thought first, I've never really been in an opportunity to bribe a policeman before, but maybe this, this is the time. <laughs> <coughs> so I said, is there any way we can stop this now? I thought that was a you know, relatively subtle way to put it. Uh, and he said, 20,000 rupees. Uh, which around that time was about 300 pounds, like 300 pounds. My budget around that time was like not that big. Uh, <clears throat> so I took out the cash that I had in my wallet and counted it out, it was 7,000 rupees. I said, I have 7,000? And he, he laughed at me uh, and said, no, no, you're going to jail. Are you ready to go to jail? Because when I make this call, this is what's happening. And he picked up the radio, he clicked it on, then he clicked it off and he looked up at me and he said, you have cash, uh, you have plastic, Visa, MasterCard, I, I know, I'm sure you have. I was like, uh, yes, uh, okay, he said, you have 20 minutes, get on your back on your motorbike, leave everything here, your passport stays with me, go to the ATM, get the rest of the money and come back. But if you try to run, if you dare to try to run, you do not understand the trouble that you're in. So I took my, my cash card, I had a bit of money left in my pocket, I got on my motorbike and I rode back to the next village. I went to the ATM, I put my card in and it said, transaction refused, contact card issuer. You know, like it does when you're abroad, right? <laughs> I had just spent my last traveler's check, so it was down to whatever was in my bank account. Uh, so I tried it again, same result. So I went to the shop, I got a phone card I went to the phone box and I called the number on the back of the card, the international number. Uh, and on the first attempt, I just got this sort of robotic voice asking me for a, a, a PIN number that I didn't have. Uh, so I tried again and I managed to get through to a person who then transferred me to a robot voice that asked me for a, a PIN number that I didn't have. Uh, so I tried the third time, with different options every time, you know, and uh, eventually got to speak to somebody. And by this point, I'm just pouring, pouring with sweat, imagining what it's like in an Indian prison, getting ritualistically beaten by sadistic guards, you know. Um, and my fingers, are like, they look like I'd just been come out of a bath. I'm just wrinkled, sweating, terrified. 
I got through to somebody and just said, do not, do not transfer me. I need help. I'm in India. I need access to my money right now. I managed to get my card reactivated, went to the ATM, withdrew the money, went back to the uh, checkpoint, and immediately the guy said, you have the money? Yes. Give it to me, like in the street. So I was, there you go. And he just took one look at this bundle of cash and he put it in his pocket, went back into the office, tore out the piece of paper that uh, had all my details on, screwed it up and threw it in the bin. Took me back to my bike. Now all my stuff, my possessions are laid out on the side of the road. So, you know, they had me, they had me squared. I've got my camera, I've got my, you know, my video camera. They knew I had cash. Um, but then all of a sudden they were really nice and super helpful, especially the guy that I've just bribed. He was like, he was trying to be my best friend. He, I dropped my sunglasses. I was, I was frantically just trying to pack my motorbike and go. And he picked them he, and he tapped them and he went, how much did he pay for these? I said, about 100 rupees. He said, oh, these, these are no good. He said, they, they protect your eyes from the dust, but you need to protect your eyes from the sun as well. I was like, yeah, well, thank you very much. I'll be fine. <laughs> so just as I was about to set off, he said, oh, one more thing. Do you have the papers for the motorbike? I thought, oh, here we go. This is where they take the bike. So I took out the old logbook. It was a really old motorbike. It was like 38 years old. So the logbook was from 1971 or something. I passed him that. I mean, this is how ridiculous it is. Like, I didn't even have a motorbike license, let alone like insurance or anything like that. But this tatty old logbook was, was enough, apparently, in the eyes of the law. So he passed it back and said, goodbye, have a good day. Now, I found out later that evening when I spoke to a local person and told him the story, and he said, 20,000 rupees? Really? Oh, they fucked you. They completely fucked you. What they should have done, by the letter of the law, is fine you 300 rupees and put you in jail for 30 days. So by my calculation, that was about a tenner a day not to be in jail. So despite the surprise, I think that uh, I got away pretty likely. Thank you very much. Thanks to Beth, Joe and Joe. For more true stories and to attend a live event, head to stories.co.uk. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.